So for me as an architect, I think I took the non-traditional part of being open source, uh, which is still very new in the architecture um, industry. And uh, for this reason, that we need opinions from everyone. Uh, we need participation um, through sharing of opinions, the changes people make based on the behavior, the way they live and the things they want to make their lives comfortable is good feedback uh, for the design because it's it's going to make our world and the cities we live in much better every day and for every single person who lives in it. If you look at examples like people working in the precious plastic community, like you, everything is online for free, but everyone's days are still more than full with stuff to do. It just means you can work on other more important stuff like improving, like developing. I also think it's Especially when it comes to sustainability, it, it's the only way we can work fast enough as like a species to be able to, to tackle the problem quick enough to actually, actually solve it. Welcome to The Bomb. This week we're joined by my Design Lab colleague and our special co-host Giovanni Salinas. Over the next four episodes, we'll be talking about the power of open source technology and how it can be incorporated into socially impactful design. To kick off this theme, we catch up with social entrepreneur Samira Chukapali Holmes and industrial designer and founder Jason Knight. Our conversation was so enriching that we've broken this interview up into two episodes. The first will focus on Jason and Samira's backgrounds, how they met, and why they chose to harness the power of open source for social good. The second episode will focus more closely on their current projects and go in depth on their Hackaday Prize 2020 Cal Earth Dream Team project. In addition to founding and directing Need Lab, Samira was recently selected as an Obama leader by the Obama Foundation. She has designed and implemented human and environment-focused solutions in partnership with UN Habitat and other city governments on four continents. As a maker and social entrepreneur, Samira enjoys teaching workshops and making sustainable design solutions accessible to all. She describes Need Lab as an organization which aims to solve problems related to habitat and urban resiliencies in cities and rural communities. A core ideology of their work revolves around think global, act local. And this can be seen in their people-focused designs. She's also a Hackaday Prize 2022 judge. Jason Knight is a product designer interested in biological fabrication and sustainable design who received a degree in industrial and product design at Brunel University in London. He is a technical consultant for Need Lab, the founder of Recycled Plastic Skateboard Deck, RPSD for short, co-founder of Mandin Collective, a researcher for Precious Plastic, and an honorary member of Illutron. Open source hardware is hardware whose design is made publicly available so that anyone can study, modify, distribute, make, and sell the design or hardware based on that design. Ideally, open source hardware uses readily available components and materials, standard processes, open infrastructure, unrestricted content, and open source design tools to maximize the ability of individuals who make and use the design. This is the first time I'm seeing Samir and Jason in real life, which yeah. is very exciting since we have been working together since 2020, as we mentioned on the Hack Day Prize 2020 Dream Team collaboration, yeah. which Giovanni was also instrumental in that team. I think we're both really excited not only to see you all in person, but to continue these partnerships long term, which is something that Samir and I have been talking about over the last couple of days, mm -hmm. how that really is what leads to, I think, more impactful uh, you know, change and moving the needle is not just, you know, a one and done kind yeah. of relationship, but continuing yeah. to see the ways that we can work together because we are working in these spaces um, on and on, you know, constantly. 
In essence, this workshop showcases a product we're developing with Samira, an air quality sensor for urban rivers. Information would be sent to people's phones regarding the quality of air, which of course can impact your livelihood. The goal is for the information to be accessible to everyone in every region, and it's a strong example of open source design because we're building off of an idea that already existed and has the potential for more opportunities for growth. It's not all the time that I'm talking with more, I would say, design um, leading individuals, which I think we all are. Like most of us have industrial design, architecture background, and not only are focused on hardware development, um, but in the electronics and the technical side of things, but the user experience and what it looks like. And I think these are, I mean, definitely personally very interesting and important um, uh, sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious because something that comes up a lot with open source technology is that I think it's a little bit, it feels uh, in conflict with this idea that we're often taught in design school and in the design industry of sort of ownership mm -hmm. and design being your own and that's mm -hmm. how you maybe are successful or mm -hmm. find your way or be, are able to you know uh put your products out in the world mm -hmm. so i would love to hear your perspectives maybe we'll start with jason um on you know being an essentially an open source product designer right mm -hmm. and what are the ways that you've found that's mm -hmm. been um you know inspiring or motivating or you know you found success in that space yeah 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 so I, I definitely agree like it feels very from what we're taught from society it feels counterintuitive to to put stuff online for free because so many people come and be like oh you need to pattern this and you need to protect this because you won't um you won't be able to survive because other people sell your idea and make money from your idea and they're gonna you, steal from you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like so this isn't the reality like you look at examples like people working in the precious plastic community like you everything is online for free but everyone's days are still more than full with stuff to do it just means you can work on other more important stuff like improving like developing i also think it's especially when it comes to sustainability it, it's the only way we can work fast enough as like a species to be able to, to tackle the problem quick enough to actually actually solve it it's like if you have everyone keeps everything they learn uh like secret and patented and private then you have linear development but if everyone shares everything then you have exponential development and this is to to kind of deal with the the how quick the sustainability problem is is, is yeah. going we need this there's like there's no other choice so yeah. my way of working is saying like there is no other way other than to do this to, to fix the problem fast enough mm -hmm. um and then yeah um and part of what you were saying reminds me of actually a ted talk i saw about open source design yeah. and the creator was talking about also you get free user testing essentially yeah, 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 free, yeah. You, you know user testing and development mm. like yeah, yeah, other yeah. people are as soon as you're able to put the design and things out there and other people can create it, you don't have to wait the typical time and design cycles and phases where you have to do private, you know, sessions and yeah, user, yeah. user testing in a closed box and you have to have all your prototypes and things ready for that. Like that slows everything down, right? Yeah. And yeah. in this way you're able to have this distributed all different kinds of users. Mm -hmm. Um it's not necessarily all, you know, hard to find these groups and and they're making them and using them for different things and breaking them and testing them. And then you get this feedback really instantly about what you can improve in. Yeah. 
Exactly. This is a, bit, a big value that I, I try and uh, say to people when people like on, on the fence about open sources, like you get a huge amount of user feedback because you, anyone can then implement it, rework it, like add their own innovations to it. So it's protected under Creative Commons. So people have to share it if they, if they, they replicate it or remix it or anything. So you get this like, this like free, if you want to define it in money feedback loop. Um, that, that normally you would have to, to initiate yourself, coordinate yourself and everything. So if you just put it online, you get, you get feedback from it. Um, and this, this helps a lot, like it kind of, so I've just published my mode and I don't need to worry so much for the next six months before doing design changes. Cause it's like, I will just see what happens in the mm -hmm. world to see what people do with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, um, then after a period of time, you kind of harvest the changes and then put them together in a way that things make sense for you. Yeah. And it's, um, I think a big, a big part of the reason people don't open source is like, is like economic reasons. I worry that they won't be able to survive if they do, but this, this really isn't true. Like it just means you can, there's, there's always always work to do. It's just in, in different things. So mm -hmm. you just change change from just doing a linear production to then then doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. No and Samira, do you feel like you had to go through a transition of thinking, or were you always, uh, you know, straight out of school or even projects you were working on in architecture school thinking? I'm going to be doing this open source. That's the most effective way to accomplish my goals here. Mm -hmm. Or do you feel like you had to have kind of this mindset change? That's a great question. Um, I think inherently architects have a reputation of having a huge ego in branding buildings or the products um, they make to be of their own and their identity and what they are about. And this has happened for centuries now um, in, in different parts of the world. Um, this is kind of dangerous according to me because each architect has a certain experience through world even me i was from one country um i considered myself a migrant or immigrant throughout my life and my experiences shape my opinions and my values and that makes me design and think of world in a certain way i would make my designs are informed by those incredibly beautiful experiences that I went through. But I have to be empathetic that I don't have the same experiences of all my users. So if I am stubborn to say, this is my design, it shall not be changed, then we are no longer being democratic, inclusive of all those experiences people need to um, incorporate to live in those spaces. It's not good enough or even good in terms of dignity for everyone. So for me as an architect, I think I took the non-traditional part of being open source, uh, which is still very new in the architecture um, industry. And uh, for this reason, that we need opinions from everyone. Uh, we need participation um, through sharing of opinions, the changes people make based on the behavior, the way they live and the things they want to make their lives comfortable is good feedback uh, for the design because it's it's going to make our world and the cities we live in much better every day and for every single person who lives in it. So open sourcing something is 
more powerful in architecture because you get input, you get feedback. Definitely, you have to follow the safety guidelines of bylaws, of regulations in terms of materials or dimensions and all of that, uh, which is much more than what, let's say, we would do for furniture design or a product that is uh, serving one purpose. With, with the restrictions and law, you learn so much more. So I think more architecture should be open sourced and the participatory way is, is very beneficial for the change. When you say that architecture should be more open sourced, are you talking about the methods or the information that helps architects design for a more localized experience or societal group? Both, I think. Um, for example, let's say uh, some communities have resources to build their houses, but they don't have resources and skill sets to design it, to learn what needs to be in place in order to have that house in the time frame they have. So when open source designs are available, which are verified and according to the bylaws of the region, they don't have to put in resources in order to build a home for themselves to have dignity for themselves. They could use that directly to build a home. They, this is a basic human need. So it fulfills one of those basic needs uh, that we, we want to have the world in order to progress in, for the better. And the second um, is in a participatory way, you know, um, to, to improve it, to, to make it better, to adjust your second point. And um, that is also very important. So for me, it's both. <laughs> Great. I, um, I had something about uh, that I meant to add earlier about sure. open source. Go so it's, I forgot to say at the time. I was just yeah, that's fine. buffering. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I kind like I kind of see. So one of the reasons is like people want to keep their idea secret, but like the one reason not to is that people want to keep their idea secret, but. What what happens in reality is like as soon as a product is out in the real world, people reverse engineer it. People figure yeah. out ways around Absolutely. how to do it. So there's really like no, I, I see no reason. To, you can spend a lot of time like and money on a lawyer to get something protected, and it's like people are just figure out anyway. People yeah. are figure out workarounds anyway and like legal loopholes anyway. So. You just kind of have to have this like faith in humanity that like if you share, people will do the same. It's, it, people are more likely to share if you do it willingly and say this is open source than if you keep it a secret and then they figure out they'll be like afraid to speak about mm -hmm. it. So. Agree. And also something I think that's important to remind um, you know people that might be afraid of open source or something like this is that um, a people are still choosing to buy open source products rather than build them themselves. Yeah. We've seen that, yeah. you know, so there's million examples out there of like, yeah. sure, you have the files, but sometimes you don't have um, the time, you're focused mm -hmm. on other mm -hmm. things and you still mm -hmm. want the product and you're going to buy it. So yeah. obviously there is still a viable business, you mm -hmm. know, market there. And B, there's, I don't even know how many coffee shops in the world <laughs> making almost the same coffee, but people still choose to go to this coffee shop. And so mm -hmm. it also, I think, it's important to remember that there's so much more to a product than just the uh, the design file or mm -hmm. something, right? Or yeah. um, how it's made. Oftentimes people are choosing to support a business or an individual creator because they feel strongly about that person or about that brand or about that community mm -hmm. that they're able to support through that product. And so, 
it's not going to ruin the business <laughs> to have no. the some of the design or all the design and whatnot out there, which I think is an important reminder. And you know, there's something important to to add to this too is that I don't think we we're trying to have everything open source. There are there are specific things that need codes and safety measures mm -hmm. that those may have to be proprietary or those have stringent approvals from government right mm -hmm. as you mentioned there are tools that you can use for education for coffee shops for day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. that could benefit a lot from information or files that are shared online and then you can just distribute the manufacturing to certain regions mm -hmm. Indeed. we're just increasing access and um, creating that opportunity for people to have reach and if it's a person who's going to benefit just their personal livelihood from using this open source, fantastic. That's the aim of doing it. But if someone's going to commercialize for them, this product is much better than any other individual they would hire because this open, for open source file comes with feedback, comes with development, comes with hundreds of people in different regions, climates, testing it, changing it, evolving it, giving you that feedback. So this is far more better than one individual sitting in a closed eco chamber designing a product. Always, for me. And, and I think uh, you would agree, Jason, yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I feel maybe it's the only way to collectively grow um, together. Collaboration is fantastic. I, I was talking to a friend a few months ago and I told him, hey, uh, help me come up with new ideas because sometimes when I'm in front of my desk, I can just think of pencil holders. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a veterinarian and he gave me this great ideas for cattle um, management. I, I don't know if, if you could say cattle management, but uh, a way to track cattle as they go through, you know, different processes as, as they come to the ranch, mm -hmm. they scan them, they they track how much they eat, things that I would have never thought of. You oh know, and this just came out of a simple question. Hey, you you are out of there, help me right. think of it. What's well, something in your world that yeah. you're facing yeah, yeah, yeah. a challenge with or something yes. that you don't have the time and he to? He gave me like three really interesting ideas. Wow, that's yes. fantastic, yeah. And you're using your skills and your knowledge to support uh, another person who's in that very specific industry. And maybe there are other farmers and um, cattle ranchers. Is that how you say the profession? Mm -hmm. Well, he's, he's a veterinarian. Okay. But, yes. Yeah. But he was gonna, works on a ranch. Yeah. So how many others have the same need? This innovation could help them all actually make their ranches more safe for the cattle and for themselves. To, um, to see what's the health and um, quality of life the cattle are having. So, yeah. And this actually reminds me of pretty much what we did when we were designing the 2020 Dream Team Challenge concept um, and program initiative. So that's how we all met. Um, so in 2020, we were thinking about ways that we could continue the Hackaday Prize, but be sensitive to what was going on in the world with mm -hmm. everyone all of a sudden, um, I shouldn't even say all of a sudden, we sort of saw it coming, but with the um, pandemic hitting the world very intensely, um, the COVID pandemic specifically, and uh, lockdown starting and people being in their homes and um, 
you know, losing opportunities essentially that they were used to having, especially within our community, which we're most familiar with as far as speaking engagements, um, you know, teaching opportunities, uh, contracted design work, mm -hmm. uh, electronic engineering work, electronics engineering work, and how could we help sustain our community more, um, uh, more effectively and not just through these uh, awards that would be given, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the year for, which is typical of the Hackaday Prize, the Grand Prize Awards, but could we do, um, you know, a two-month residency? We're playing with these ideas and also wanted to be able to support nonprofits during this time, mm -hmm. collaborate with them. And so we reached out to a number of nonprofits, developed challenges with them, one of them being CalEarth, and then you all applied and you actually <laughs> applied as a team, one of our yeah. few teams. So maybe I'll actually pause here and rewind a little bit. How did you all meet? What was the first project you were working on together? Well, <laughs> we met at a makerspace. Yeah, 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 yeah. We met at a makerspace. Um, so Samir was implementing the Beehive project. Yeah, and we met through a common friend and uh, it was also an open source thing. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. for a community who really needed Mm. a way of employment oui, oui, oui. And, and, and not harm the environment they were living in oui, by oui. doing so. Oui, oui. So immediately we clicked and oui, yeah. Oui, oui. And we would spend hours and nights in, in because there were power cuts, was it? Like we would have power yeah. shortage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so long ago. <laughs> seven years yeah. ago. But um the, the, so what year was this? You said seven 20, years ago? Like it's like six or seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. So they would be, they would stop the electricity um, in the city. Yeah, they were digging the road. Yeah. They were, digging, they were like redigging the road and the power. Uh, in which the, city did you say? It was in... Uh, Timpu. Bhutan. Yeah. Oui, oui. Um, in the Himalayas, to call it for context. Yeah. No, so, we, so we were making uh, beehives and... Um, they, they were like digging pow the power in the street and they kept cutting the power halfway through the CNC car, which was like a two hour job. So I was staying there like... Oh, so and the CNC was going. Yeah, going, so yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. We needed like, I think we, we intended to make like... Five or six of five, them. And if yeah, you five, cut the power, you lose, I mean, the place in the design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have to manually kind of so figure I, out where it had stopped or did you finally get used to the schedule? I was forever? like, I had to like edit the, the, the drawing and then take okay. out the pieces that had already been cut every time this happened. I remember yeah. like... For anyone who's yeah. seen anything, who's listening, they know the pain you're yeah. talking yeah. about. Like, no. yeah. I remember finishing at like two o'clock in the morning and we go all up and down. But we were both just... We mainly both have very similar work mentality. Like we just do what, whatever we need to do to make make, make sure it it's done. Work. And we both like yeah. notice this about each other. It's just like we just do what we need to do. Even we were, we were just in the in the back of like an SUV for like two days to get to where we were implementing the hype. So we were just speaking the whole time about our like mentality for for doing work and why we do the work we do. And then just since then we've been like, okay, we both think the same, work in the same way, work with the same ethic to get things done. So it's good. Yeah. good and can stuff. you tell us a little bit about when you first um, sort of set off on the trajectory of the work you do? You know, um, what was there? Uh, did you always know that? I don't even know. It's hard to say always, right? Mm. But uh, 
even when you first were interested in design or engineering or architecture, that this was sort of, you wanted to work on sustainability projects, on socially impactful Mm -hmm. projects, and you were just sort of figuring out how to do that? Or was there a moment, a specific experience or a specific project that kind of catapulted you into that realm forever? (laughs) Um, Well, for me, it was quite accidental. I was doing my thesis project in Spain. I, at that time, very naively during my master's, I thought um, I can 3D print houses with clay, solve the need for um, housing, um, have houses for everybody. Uh, as in, when I kind of dug myself into it, I understood that that's truly not the reality. The reach of it and the complexity of it and the communities that I'm intending to support, we were so far off. And, and that the collaborations I was working with, um, that the communities I'm hoping to help would never be the target group. Mm. It, it's, it's either patents that my research would go into, and then, um, and then just as a part, open source community, make a community rescued me to have an alternate. And as I was doing my thesis, I started Need Lab. I was like, there needs to be an alternate way um, to get this information, all this research to people who really need it. And this shouldn't be the only means of, of you know, collaborating with a company, doing a product with them and them selling it. Um, there there sh- definitely should be a plan B. Um, that's how um, the path it's kind of carved out and I was almost about to leave the university to, to do that. But I'm glad I <laughs> completed the completed the program too. And um, yeah, and then and the doors opened to meeting people like Jason and, mm. and working together for seven years later. And um, yeah, how was it for you? Uh, for me, so so before I can remember, I've, I've been making things like some of my earliest memories <laughs> of my, my mom giving me tools when I was like four or five years old and the neighbors being like, what are you doing? Like you're giving a drill to a baby. And then I was like <laughs> hammering stuff and drilling stuff since like before I can remember. And I never considered it for a career until college. Like I never considered myself particularly academic and like particularly uh, like smart for going to university and stuff. But then when I was in college, there was like, I started to get this like, uh, realization and um, just a few a few triggers in, in my time at college so like I spoke to uh, one of my friend's dad his name is John C and he's a he's a graphic designer mm-hmm. and he said to me and my friend like if you want to like be successful in life you have to pick a career doing what you enjoy because whether you like it or not you're going to wake have to wake up and work a lot so make a career of something that you enjoy doing because Mm -hmm. you're going to spend a lot of your life doing it like okay so at this time i was studying product design and i was like um it wasn't until college i realized you could like just make things as your as your career and as your living Mm -hmm. so like i got to college and found out there's a product design course i was like this is amazing like i can (laughs) i can just make stuff and it it can get me into university and it can get me a job and and be like a path for my life and my um um my my tutor in my tutor in college he was like he recognized that i was um 
His name was John Foster, and he recognized um, that I was like uh, enjoyed it a lot. Like had a had kind of a, a, a skill at doing it because, mm-hmm. like in my past, I'd made so much stuff anyway. I'd kind of just like developed an intuition in doing it. And then he was like, yeah, you should do this and you should apply to university to do this. And then the rest is just like, as, as, as I've got, I only added the like sustainability aspect when I was in university because I was kind of like matured as a person and understood like that's what the world needs. It was mm-hmm. until then that I, I, uh, I knew, obviously I knew about sustainability before, but like I didn't really make it such a big part of what I do until university. Um, as well as open source, like I didn't know open source existed until I worked at a fab lab mm-hmm. um, in uh, Roskilde University. I worked at Roskilde University in the fab lab and um, they introduced me to open source and then that just, it, it made so much so much sense to, to do the two things, sustainability, open source work, and then just wake up and make things every day, which is what I like to do. And this has <laughs> just paved the way for what's happened after, so. Yeah. And may I recommend a book if someone feels this this calling? So, <laughs> making things. Yeah, making things. up and making things. Yeah. There is a book by an Indian writer. Uh, I forgot his name, but the name is, the, the, of the book is the Fortin at, at the Bottom of the Pyramid. I read it, I think, 10 years ago, and it really changed my, my mindset. It explains how you don't necessarily have to make products that go for the higher levels of society yeah. and still make a profit. You know, you can, you can make products that help society mm-hmm. while they make a profit and they are sustainable. Yeah. So it's it's a really inspiring. It's a long book. So if you buy it, um, you have to plan. Pace yourself. <laughs> <I> have, yes. <laughs> it, it really changed my, my. I can't overstate how much it changed my, the, the way of thinking after I've finished reading it. Um, how you can make a change with, with product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if I'm understanding correctly, this is like more along the lines of like you know like a drop in the bucket rather than shooting for the one percent of projects that are like brand new inventions that feel like they're gonna change the world kind of thing like these are how can you make everyday products that are slowly changing the world essentially yes you know the criticism that he makes of society and again it was i think it was published 10 to 15 years ago but it's still valid today it's how so many products are designed for specific markets Mm-hmm. that have a lot of purchasing power and then then you create on top of those mm-hmm. while the rest of society are left with nothing yeah, and yeah. i will just come up with something uh, this is not necessarily a real example but you have um uh, electronic scooter which works great but it only works well in san francisco or, or another city you know where you have the infrastructure okay then comes along another company that designs a service within the e-scooter um, environment mm-hmm. right food delivery service using or food deliveries or something yeah. like that so you're building on top of an existing premise for just a limited it's not um, effective in other communities yes yeah. while you could be doing something for other communities that also need last mile uh, transportation yeah. Yeah. and and they're underserved yeah healthcare medicines exactly 
uh, most essential uh, needs and uh, yeah I love the emphasis on just wake up every day and get to make things and the light bulb moment of oh this can be like a career or a job mm. and I wonder this is just a small thing but I know I drive my friends crazy now because or have for a while now because I think after I had that moment of like this is going to be my career is making things um you start to see that everything is made by someone yeah. <laughs> like you walk around everywhere you know and you I don't know how you guys feel about this but I am like I could make that but then in my head I do calculations like it would take this many hours this kind of material mm-hmm. this expensive mm-hmm. and like you know you're like okay I'm not going to make that but I'm going to make this and do you guys have that same like when you're walking around everything you look at you're like how was that made how would I make that I would make that I wouldn't make that um is this like just a designer uh, side effect <laughs> <laughs> I I had that intensely like in university and after it's kind of calmed down these days but I had this like super like analytical thing so like for sure I I need to build my own house that I live in because I will be too critical of living in another mm-hmm. it's like a house designed by other people and I just want to like you spend so much time in your house so I want to do it in my my own way mm-hmm. um so yeah it's like I used to have the like analyzing objects and like analyzing like things in the street a lot when I when I was in London and then it kind of had to like learn to filter out because <laughs> yeah. it's like becomes too much right yeah right. distracting in yeah. Some ways. yeah yeah also so, like you learn a lot but mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's yeah. like a mini reverse engineering of yeah, everything yeah. you see <laughs> and you do have to turn it off sometimes yeah. and, and, and I gain uh, inspiration absolutely uh by that and, and as you walk into spaces and you see the way they are and also cities and, and um different mm-hmm. roads different uh interaction the way road vehicles bicycle lanes and streets mm-hmm. um how with people our trees our houses and i'm like is it good for everybody mm-hmm. what about my friend who's um yeah. who, who's who needs a wheelchair what what about her can she can she come here and experience this view with me mm-hmm. and then constantly thinking how we could change a little bit of that midnight hack bring a bit of <laughs> bring a brick with me and fix it a little bit mm-hmm. um there is that constant um, like feeling of i want to fix that i want to yeah. tinker with it i want to yeah. hack it just small enough yeah. so it's good for everyone it's not the best solution mm-hmm. but but hack it just a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah on the note of inspiration literally we were walking up the stairs to your um your apartment Giovanni and I and I was like oh my gosh the uh the roof tiles that you could see out the window of the place across I'd never seen uh tiles um shaped like that with that uh, form you know and I was yeah. like this is so interesting I'll take a picture <laughs> and file that away for later And we'll file the rest of this interview away until next week. In next week's episode, we'll dive deeper into their CalEarth project, as well as Jason's recycled skateboard project, and learn about other exciting projects they have in the works. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you like The Bomb, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow Supply Frame and Hackaday on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and Design Lab at Supply Frame Design Lab on Instagram and Twitter. 
The Bomb is a Supply Frame podcast written, produced, and edited by Frank Driscoll and co-edited by Daniel Ferreira. Executive producers are Ryan Tillotson and Tyler Nielsen. Theme music is by Anna Hogbin with show art by Thomas Schneider. Special thanks to Giovanni Salinas, Bruce Dominguez, Thomas Woodward, Jin Kumar, Jordan Clark, Matt Gunn, the entire Supply Frame team, and you, our wonderful listeners. I'm your host, Magenta Strongheart.